this week we have an 80s an, an 80s icon i'm gonna call him an icon this this is mr andre gower you would know him better as sean from the 80s seminal classic the monster squad how are you sure how are you today uh doing pretty good how are you i am doing great and um you know uh, uh, the reason why we have uh mr gower here uh, gower right am i pronouncing it right i don't want to uh, mispronounce your name the whole show <laughs> nope but <laughs> That's right. Spot on. Spot okay. on. It's good. All right. Great. Awesome. So, um, uh, yeah, like I said, um, he's got a brand new documentary uh, uh, out. Is it like just dropping or is it out yet um, coming out? It's called Wolfman's Got Nards. Uh, basically documenting like the whole, uh, you know, after effects of uh, Monster Squad, I, I want to say, like, you know, what you guys are going through now and, and, and like following like the, the Comic-Con circuit kind of like deal. Is, is that what the, the, the pod or the, the documentary is about? A little bit. We cover a little bit of really what the resurgence, uh, you know, that started back in 06, 07, okay. you know, with this kind of, you know, the fandom coming out of the woodwork and kind of rebirthing this movie that died in 1987. Right. Um, but, you know, really, you know, the documentary Wolfman's Got Nards actually, you know, really touches on a little bit more than just you know, a follow-up. Uh, it's not a making of doc. It's right. not a, where are they now doc? And it's, okay. and it's certainly not a uh, straight, you know, shovel full of nostalgia fan service doc, which okay. is, you know, which we, we get quite a bit of that, you know, in the last, you know, five, six, 10 years. And right. those are all great. And look, we cover all of those, those three kind of uh, avenues, but they aren't the focus of it. The focus of it is, uh, you know, really more of, really how something like film, okay. uh, you know, can connect and impact someone that actually, you know, affects their lives and, and how it can stay with them for, you know, years and years and even generations. And all told through the lens of, you know, kind of this phenomenon and this fan dynamic with the Monster Squad. That's sort of really kind of the deeper, you know, the deeper, right. you know, wrapped, wrapped, it, it's a very multi-layered wrapped burrito. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you want to think of it onion, that way. Right? So. It's a, that's it's right. That's onion, right. Yeah. And, um, you know, but we all told through the lens of the Monster Squad experience. And, you know, we, we cover, you know, a lot of the, you know, making of, uh, you know, the history of it, the box office, uh, you know, non-success, right. uh, you know, we cover why that, you know, could have been uh, what, what impact that had on, you know, kind of where, you know, kids found it after that and how it connected with them. And, you know, just then over through the years of how the fans just didn't let this movie die. And once they finally had a, an event and an opportunity um, and an avenue being the internet, you know, to, to actually come together and, you know, have their voices heard over the years instead of just shouting at the end of their own cul-de-sac. Right. Um, you know, it, it, it really was this interesting dynamic that we started seeing, you know, after 07, 08, um, you know, that was a little bit different than most fandoms. Right. Uh, there's something really unique about Monster Squad fans and the impact that this, uh, you know, this story had on them. Oh. Um, now, I, I remember I, I seen, I'm, a, I'm an old head. I seen this when I was literally seven years old. It came out in 87. I was I was that you know I I, I kind of uh, identified with the character Eugene in that movie you know what I mean and you sure guys, the, the young guy how all right you know first off here you might know that how did a bunch of 
I want to say, what, 13, 14-year-olds end up hanging out with a 7-year-old, 8-year-old kid like that. <laughs> was he a friend well, of, of the, the Phoebe's? Was, is, that what, is that what was going on in there? No, I don't. You know, I think they they might have gone to the same, you know, preschool or something. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I really think what it is, it shows the, you know, because we're not all the same age. Like, right. uh, you know, obviously we ended up having, you know, a member of the squad being Rudy, which is obviously a year or two older than everybody. Right. Uh, you know, Sean and Patrick are probably, you know, the same age and, yeah, and someone like Horace and Horace, who's everybody's favorite character, you know, looks and sounds even, you know, a little bit younger. Yeah, but yeah. really what it is, it shows sort of that dynamic of whatever generation, you know, we're actually from that people, you know, it's really a group of, you know, a group of misfits that like certain things right. that that are, that are shared experiences within these, you know, four or five kids that that's why they gravitate towards together. And it doesn't matter who you are, or how old you are, maybe. Right. And, you know, if you're a part of the club, you're a part of the club. And, you know, and really what it is, it also shows, you know, as, you know, Fred Decker, who, you know, created the story and wrote, wrote the screenplay with Shane Black, you know, really what it is, it's, uh, you know, it's what would it look like if the little rascals fought the classic Universal Monsters? Yeah, you know, I, I compared it to uh, what if the Goonies fought the classic Universal Monsters? Honestly, that's what I always seem to compare it to. Like, I don't, whenever right. somebody Wh- asks which me makes about, sense. Whatever we know, ever somebody asked me about Monster Squad, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like the Goonies, but, you know, they, they, they fight monsters, and, and it's the old Universal Monsters, but it's not. But it, it was supposed to be, but it's not. Like, I don't know how, you know... We, do you, do you know that the reason behind why they couldn't get the rights to the Universal Monsters is that in the documentary? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's um, it, it, we covered a little bit in, in in the documentary, just you know, just as a you know, kind of you know, passing kind of anecdote. Uh, but you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of people compare it to Goonies, uh, even though technically the story of Monster Squad had you know started being written well before even the script for Goonies. I think. Right. You know, yeah. Started, he, right? He, he started it just happened to come and, in 80, 85, right. 80, you know, eighty five. So. Right. Uh, you know, obviously the, the movie Goonies released before Monster Squad, well, you know, yeah. and that's why people will, will, will tie a, uh, you know, connection kind to of associate, right. But yeah, it's, yeah, you know, it, it came from this, you know, out of, out of the, you know, kind of ether, out of the brain mist of Fred Decker of being a kid, <laughs> you know, growing up in the, you know, 60s and 70s of being an old, you know, movie buff and an old television buff and comic book kid. Uh, you know, what would something look like if it was the Little Rascals, uh, you know, fighting the classic Universal right. Monsters, which is an example of, you know, some of the oldest, you know, original iconic television along with the, you know, kind of oldest iconic, you know, kind of genre films. And, you know, as, as they're going into production and, and you know, the, the creature effects artists in the production were, uh, you know, you know, kind of creating the looks for the monsters that were going to be used. Uh, they ended up finding out at the time, you know, most of the monsters are, you know, all the monsters are kind of a public domain, especially Dracula and Wolfman yeah, and, yeah. and Frankenstein's monster, uh, because, you know, they're old enough in, in, in literature. Right. Uh, the one main obstacle was Creature from the Black Lagoon, because that was still a universal kind of IP that was copyrighted okay. at the time. But then also was, uh, so you had to recreate that a little bit and not call him Creature from the Black Lagoon. You can call him Creature, we call him Gilman. Right, right. Um, but the, the the main change with uh, the, the main creature effects was on Frankenstein's monster. And I believe at the time um, they were still, you know, everybody thought they were going to do that, you know, the old uh, Jack Pierce kind of, uh, you know, square, square forehead name, and bolts, right. in the, bolts in the neck type of thing. Uh, but they were apparently still using that look at the theme parks 
you know, as, as, as actors walking around. So they still had the look kind of wraps down, which a lot of the original, you know, if, if you, if you watch that section of Wolfman's Got Nards, the actual creature makers that made all these, uh, you know, discuss that. And they realized how kind of excited they were about getting a chance as young, you know, 20 somethings, if that, you know, to, to create the monsters in this huge movie that they grew up with. And then they were told they weren't able to, but I think that's one of the best things that ever happened, uh, you know, to either creature making, uh, you know, the effects world and also Monster Squad as a film, right. because it made these effects guys actually re-envision and, and create new ways that's instead true. of just modeling something after a, after a photo. That's true. And that's where you have these iconic new interpretations, which kind of not only changed the game, but also set the bar a lot higher. Right. Not yet, because uh, like you notice, I mean, the Frankenstein's monster in uh, your movie had uh, the bolts on his head, right? Like it was they right. were on his neck. Yeah, they were on his head. Um, right. He was more rounded, I believe, uh, instead of square. Um, question, and I heard this, um, you know, uh, brought around in other um, things, but is it true that they tried to stay in character, like the the monsters? You know what I mean? Um, uh, 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 Duncan and you know all them like as Frankenstein and Dracula. Did they stay in character for you kids or like did, to try to keep the like the illusion going like to get more of a reaction out of you guys you think or like is that did they do that at all? They or? did. Yeah. Uh it was it was mainly Duncan Regeer who played Dracula and Tom Noonan who right. was uh Frankenstein's monster who are two very well-trained, very disciplined method actors and who are fantastic at what they do. And going into it uh, I, I think the result of the, those two kind of ended up being the same. I think the reasons uh, may have started out different, but for the same effect uh, as an end result. But we, um, Duncan and Tom, were we never saw them uh, not only out of character, but we never saw them out of makeup and out of costume. Oh, so right. they, they, we were always, you know, they were always separate from us and they kind of never broke character. So if Duncan was on the set, he'd walk on and do the scene as Dracula and walk off and you never got to hang out with a guy named Duncan. Right. Tom Noonan's character, I think, until the end of the movie. I mean, I, you oh, know, wow. there, you know, there's a story where, you know, they, they shot the movie after the, you know, until the wee hours of the, of the, of the morning, most nights, right. uh, you know, long after the kids had gone home, uh, that, you know, that's two, three and a half hours of makeup get up oh, yeah, and then, yeah. you know, two hours of coming off every night. And he was, you know, he's just not having it that night. And so he just drove home as Frankenstein's monster oh, one night. And um, I would have loved to see that kind of dash cam footage because uh, <laughs> uh, he probably would have stayed, you know, he still would have received his ticket, you know, for speeding as Frankenstein's monster. But uh, that's, that's the thing something like Tom Noonan does. And everybody always asks, you know, what was it like to work with Tom Noonan? Cause he's amazing. And my answer is always, is I have no idea. I didn't work with Tom Noonan. I worked with Frankenstein's monster. You worked monster. with Frankenstein's monster, um, right. I didn't, yeah, I didn't meet Tom Noonan until, you know, months later. <laughs> um, and while we were shooting, I, you know, my favorite story is we didn't know who this guy was. We knew he was this actor that done a ton of movies. Right. And uh, I, I had to go to my local video store, which we all did in those oh, days. Yeah. And uh, and I rented, uh, I rented Manhunter so I could see what this guy looked like. And then I wish I hadn't rented Manhunter because he scared the shit out of me in that movie. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt bad for, um, uh, for the, the Gill Man, though. That makeup had to have been horrible. That, that outfit to get in and out of, man, freaking terrible. Like, I, I well, bad. it was. And, and it, again, that kind of circles back to if we're talking you know, still about creature making and innovation. 
uh, the, the Gilman suit was built by Steve Wang and Matt Rose and from scratch. And they invented an entire new way to make creature suits. And what they came up with for Gilman was actually a one-piece molded bodysuit that um, Tom Woodruff Jr., who actually worked, who created the Frankenstein's makeup, right. was actually the guy in the suit for Gilman. Oh, and wow. that was the first time he ever was a performer in a suit, which launched a career as he's a very famous creature performer. And he also owns now, you know, one of the biggest, you know, special effects studios in the world. Um, But yeah, Gilman is actually one piece that you get glued into. Right. There's no zippers. There's no, it's like, it's one piece. It goes flapped over, sealed up in it. The, the head part, comes over the flap and you get epoxied in it and the hands and feet go on and you're actually glued in the suit oh, wow. uh, for, you know, 15, 18 hour days and you can't get out. Oof. So uh, there's a lot of, you, you got to keep your, I think you keep your water intake. I was about to say, stuff. I was like, Oh my God, man, I couldn't imagine having to go to the bathroom in that thing. It's yeah. like, had to be horrible. Um, now uh, I always wanted to know, um, how did you hear about the movie and like what drew you to it? And did you read the, you know, like, what did you think of the script the first time you read it? Well, it was a, uh, you know, just a, a regular, you know, kind of casting submission that, you know, when you're fortunate enough to be a working actor as a kid, like I was at the time, right. you know, going from project to project, uh, you know, you're going to get these calls and and submit, you know, to come into audition for, you know, for just about everything, you right. know, at that time, you know, there was, you know, a group of probably about 20% of the total you know, number of kids in the business that did about 80% of the work. That's always kind of in my mind when I come up with, and I was fortunate enough to do, you know, to be in that 20%, I believe, because I worked quite a bit. And, you know, you just go and you read for stuff that your agent or the casting directors or the producers, you know, think you could be right for. And what's interesting about Monster Squad is, you know, some people know and some people don't. I never read, I never auditioned for the role of Sean. Really? I, um, I, I, I originally auditioned and screen tested for the role of Rudy. Oh. And... Because leading up to that, my body of work had kind of been the kid with the, you know, cool clothes and the, and the great hair with a ton of hair product. Right, right. And, uh, you know, because I, I had great hair back then. Oh, I had and, the same haircut, um, bro. I had the same haircut. I know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I didn't get cast as Rudy. Uh, I got very fortunate enough to, uh, you know, be cast as Sean because Ryan Lambert, who did play Rudy, came in and Fresh absolutely kids murdered it. Fresh, fresh, fresh out of kids, kids Inc. And, uh, <laughs> you know, absolutely uh, murdered his audition process and was Rudy. And, th- you know, I, and that's the right call. Could I have played Rudy? Absolutely. It would have been different. It would have been fun. It would have been a little, you know, a little, little jokier, but uh, it still would have been okay. But Ryan Lambert is Rudy yeah. and uh, he absolutely nails it. And I was fortunate enough that they saw something in my, you know, reads for Rudy that they said, well, why don't we just cast Sean, this right? kid, you know, and why don't we just cast him as Sean? I never even came in and read for Sean. I think. They just called and said, you got the movie, but not the role you read for. Right, right. Uh, and, and that's usually a bad sign, but because uh, uh, usually you get a lesser role or a, right, a right. featured role or something. We right. said, no, 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 it's actually the other way. You actually, they cast you as the lead. So it's, it's a totally different role. Shit, and uh, I was still, you know, I was still a little disappointed because Rudy's the cool character, yeah. but uh you know, look, it all ended up uh, in the right spot. Everybody, it was in the exact place they should have been. Right. And I think that's one of those things that made the movie last. Did you guys, um, you guys get along in real life? Uh, like, do you guys still talk to, I, I understand uh, Horace passed away a few years away. Uh, right, you know. right. Yeah, we do. You know, and that, um, 
you know, stayed in touch for a number of years and then everybody kind of grows up and, and goes to college or does the thing and, and you lose touch a little bit. But, uh, you know, back in 2006, uh, really kind of for that uh, seminal event at the Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas, which was the first reunion screening of Monster Squad in, you know, 19, 20 years. Right. And um, that was launched everything. So, and ever since that time, we all have, you know, obviously stayed in touch because we have been appearing all over the world together for, <laughs> you know, the last, you know, 12, 13 years now. And, uh, uh, you know, and Ryan and I are very tight and close and we work on projects together and oh, wow. Ashley and I, and we all, we all stay in, in, in close contact. And then of course, you know, when you see the doc, you know, Ryan and Ashley and I are on the road a lot together appearing. Right. So it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's great to have reconnected with these awesome people. Um, that I consider, you know, some of my oldest and closest friends uh, that we've experienced something together that not a lot of people get to. So we are bonded in kind of a unique way. Not only are Monster Squad fans connected because of their love and appreciation and, and, and tether to this movie, but we as the cast, you know, we're part of something that's kind of unique as well. And we've experienced and have our lives impacted and changed uh, just as much by this movie whether it's release, it's failure at the box office, it's subsequent kind of resurgence and rebirth and explosion, uh, we're just as affected by it as the fans are. And, you know, that's that's a main part that we look at in the documentary as well. Do you have any favorite moments from on set? Like, do you, like, anything that, like, you, like, you think back fondly, like, you know, that really stands out? Like, anything, you know? Well, you know, I think the... Um, you know, just kind of overall, you know, the, the overall spectacle of making this giant studio movie. Because, you know, even though it didn't do all well the box, it doesn't mean it was a low-budget, crappy no, movie. By, it was, by all it's, it, it's, by no it was a big budget at the time, had a lot of stuff going on. Um, and I, I think just the overall kind of scope and scale of it was something to be very interested in. Now, when you get to sort of that final sequence in the last couple of weeks of actually shooting the film, there was so much going on that was amazing. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, I'd probably say, um, you know, the one thing that pops out, you know, of dozens is, is probably standing behind the camera and watching Wolfman explode, oh, uh, you know, yeah. coming out of a building, which was, uh, you know, I, I, I stayed up late and stayed on set that night to watch that effect. Just and, to make uh, sure you can cool. watch that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Um, I got one more now. Did they, all right. Is it true that they told you to imitate Clint Eastwood in the final line of the movie to get that, you know, <laughs> we're the monster squad. Right. <laughs> where, where did you, where did you get I, that? This where is, did this you get is that all from? over the, you know, this is just a bunch of questions that I had, you know, people were asking, I was asking, you know, I, I saw it's, this. It's a great question. Yeah. Cause they've obviously, you know, heard us talk about it or, or right. me mention in an interview. Um, uh, Fred Decker and, and both myself, you know, I, you know, we were Clint Eastwood fans, you right. know, uh, everything, you know, f that he's done, you know, from especially Dirty Harry and, yeah. and, and, you know, his, uh, his war movies and things like that. And I grew up, you know, my dad loved Clint Eastwood as well. So I saw a ton of Clint Eastwood movies, loved Dirty Harry. And I, I think what it was is at the, I don't know if we've talked about it previously to shooting, mm -hmm that shot or it was during and you know we did a couple takes and it was just kind of corny um and i think you know i remember having a conversation with fred and he pulled me to the side and said all right let's uh let's try it another way let's not overdo it um just kind of be subtle right you know cool like you know what you're doing and you know just you know how would you know think how clint would do it right. <laughs> and i was like wow you know that's uh you know let's figure that out 
And, you know, sometimes when you're not quite, you know, you gotta, you gotta weave a little bit of yourself and something else that you're getting into and you don't want to go up and mimic Clint Eastwood or or anybody, but uh, it was, I understood what he was asking, I think at the time. And it was, it was sort of a little subtle under, you know, it was Clint always acts in understatements, right? He's just very, he just lets his look do it. And the dialogue is just coming out of his look and, and that was the take that we used. It was right after we talked about, uh, you know, try one how Clint would do it. That's, that's a good story, man. <laughs> so I hope I, I hope I, uh, you, you I hope I did uh, Mr. Eastwood uh, good. There. Most definitely, because I remember <laughs> it. Uh, you know, it was great. Um, all right, last question of the day. Um, I'm gonna let you go. Is Stephen King your favorite director? Is Stephen King my favorite uh, director or author? My favorite author, author. Author, I meant. Sorry, my fault. Yeah. Um, you know, as great as Stephen King is, he writes, uh, he writes a lot of very, very, very long books, uh, very often. Uh, he's insanely creative and imaginative. Um, I, I enjoy his stuff. I, I don't read it as voraciously as I read other stuff. Because I mean, you know, you did um, wear a shirt that said Stephen King rules. So I mean, I it, it doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean I haven't, you know, I have not read you know, half of Stephen King stuff, like, you know, a lot of my genre friends know it backwards and forwards. Uh, but he's an amazing, uh, you know, amazing imaginative mind. Uh, and he does rule. So it's, uh, no one's going to dispute that. Well, that and there's that, a shirt that proves it. That is very true. Yes. All right, man. Thank you so much, Andre. Um, I really do appreciate you coming on and, and just bullshitting. And I would love to have you back on to just bullshit again at some point. So um, yeah, hit me up. Let's do it. So, uh, you know, hopefully you and, and, and your listeners and your friends get to watch Wolfman's Got Nards. Oh, and definitely. Please tell, follow tell everybody me. where they can find it. Please. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're interested in the documentary Wolfman's Got Nards, uh, please go to thesquaddoc.com or uh, follow it on socials, uh, you know, Instagram and Twitter at thesquaddoc. Or please follow me at Andre Gower and Andre Gower Official on Instagram. Uh, But right now, you know, it released on October 27th, uh, wide on all your VOD platforms, uh, you know, that you that you like, whether uh, you're uh, it's a US and Canada release at this moment. If you're a uh, physical media collector, uh, you know, hit Amazon.com or a couple of your favorite retailers to buy the Blu-ray or DVD. And, uh, you know, we'd love to uh, hear your reaction after you watch it, rent it, or buy it, and uh, tell us what you think. We definitely will, man. Again, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. This was great. No, thanks for having me. Good on you. Who are you? We're the Monster Squad.
Such a gas to sight When the monster squad leaves the world tonight 